0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 457, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. Before leaving Ghana for Poland to study, Emmanuel Hayford was a WordPress and Joomla developer. Emmanuel now works as an independent Ruby on Rails consultant. He's helped multiple companies in Europe and the United States build software solutions for their businesses. In 2018 and 2019, he served as a Ruby on Rails mentor for Google Summer of Code. He co-edits This Week in Rails and enjoys boxing and digging in the internals of Rails and HTTP2. Welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Emmanuel.
1: Thank you, Brittany. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, rumor has it, is this your first podcast?
1: Oh Yes, you're right. This is my very first podcast, and I hope it won't be the last one.
0: Amazing. You are such a presence on Twitter, and I love what you do with This Week in Rails, so I was super excited to have you on. So, of course, I need to know, what is your developer origin story?
1: So my first real encounter with programming was with BASIC. And now mentioning BASIC doesn't mean I played on machines like the Commodore 64 or Atari. Compared to my European mates, I started programming quite late. And that's because in Ghana, access to technology is very limited for most kids. I got a chance to play with BASIC in high school on a shared Pentium 2 computer, and this was in my early teens. And in fact, the first time I touched a computer was just about a year before entering high school. And it was somewhere in my high school days that I stumbled across Shemp. Shemp is a PHP development environment that comes with an HTTP server, a database, PHP, and I think Pro. But then, I wanted to build dynamic web apps, having played with Adobe Dreamweaver a year or two earlier. So I went on to learn PHP, work with Joomla and WordPress, and I used FileZilla a lot to upload static content, static assets, if you will. Then I went on to build an online discussion forum for the Ghanaian diaspora. That project was quite successful until social media became permanent and I had to discontinue the project. Later on, I took a CompTIA A-plus certification course, learned some hardware, and with the help of Google, I started fixing broken desktop machines for my neighbors. I was using my neighbor's machines for practice, but they didn't know about this. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Most times I would be able to fix them, or the other times I'd leave their computers in a worse state. But that happened, oh no. <laughs> right? Yeah. Fortunately, it happened less often. So, fast forward to 2012. I was in Poland for school, and I still wanted to pursue building dynamic web apps, but I didn't want to go back to PHP. So, I looked for options. Then I came across the early version of Try Ruby. I think you heard about it some time ago. I think it's still active. I'm not really sure. So, with Try Ruby, what I did was I was able to have a taste of Ruby in the browser. I liked it. I enjoyed it. So I bought several books to learn Ruby properly. I think I got Hawaii's guide to Ruby. Stefan Wintermeyer's Ruby on Rails for guide and a classic Michael Hartl's Ruby on Rails tutorial. And that's it. I was hooked. Haven't looked back since.
0: That is amazing. So (laughs) I just love the fact that you were so clever to practice on the machines that you were trying to repair. Would you agree that hardware is way harder than software or would you disagree? I would
1: disagree, but it's something that I didn't enjoy. I preferred to do software, you know, like with hardware, if you happen to burn some RAM or a hard disk, that's it. You have to replace it. You have to spend money and you have to buy a new one. But with software, you can break stuff and then fix them and then do it all over again. So for that reason alone, I enjoyed doing software more. So I didn't want to actually really pursue any career in hardware.
0: Well, I brought you onto the show to talk a little bit about what you're excited about with Rails 7.1 and what you might have been excited about when Ruby 3.2 came out. But before we get into that, we mentioned in the bio that you co-edit This Week in Rails. Can you explain to the listeners what this week in Rails is and how it got started? Well,
1: this week in Rails, I joined later on. I wasn't part of the team when they started. And it was, I think, started by Chan Ken Code. Sorry, but I don't remember his real name. But I think people in the Rails community will quite know who he is. He used to work for, I think, a century. And he started it as I learned. So... I joined the team of editors, and now there's four of us. And the basic idea is to basically send to Rails developers updates of what's going on in Rails. So we look at the comments and check which features or bug fixes have been merged, and then we try to explain them, and then we send them out to subscribers. So basically that's the idea, just sending updates to Rails developers of what's going on in Rails.
0: Were you someone who was subscribed to the newsletter and just had a real interest in getting involved? I'm very impressed that you're a co-editor.
1: Yes. Right. So I was a long time subscriber. And what happened was after some time, I stopped receiving updates, but I really enjoyed the updates. So I was like, wait, why did This Week in Rails stop sending me updates? So I thought, Someone or accidentally, my email had gotten lost in the list of emails or whatever. But I tried to use another email and I still wasn't getting them. And then I reached out to one of the editors, Greg Molner. He does most of the work there with organization and stuff like that. So I reached out to him and I asked, Hey, Greg, do you need help editing this week in Rails? Because I need to get the updates in my inbox. So Greg was like, "Okay, if you really want to, then come join us. I was like, "Okay, I'm going to do it because I really enjoy sharing tips, updates and stuff of whatever is going on in Ruby and Rails. So I jumped on board and that's it. So what we do basically is just send updates to subscribers of what's going on in Ruby and Rails.
0: Based on like how many people are currently subscribed to it, would you say that the Ruby on Rails community is quite healthy?
1: Well, yeah, it's very healthy. Initially, this week in Rails was hosted on another service, and then they had to, for some reason, move it to world.hay. So they lost a very large amount of subscribers. And then with world.hay, that's where we currently send updates, we had to basically build everything from scratch. So we announced building our subscriber base. So we are starting humbly from a very small number. But I do encourage people to sign up for this week in Rails if they want to receive Rails updates in their inboxes.
0: Completely agreed. So I will link that all up in the show notes, listeners. So as someone who does have a pulse on what's going on in Ruby on Rails, what are you most excited about in Rails 7.1? To be honest,
1: I'm excited about everything in Rails 7.1. For me, I think Real 7.1 is the most exciting minor release as far as I'm concerned. I started learning Ruby since 4.2 or 4.1. I'm not quite sure on which one it is, but this to date is my favorite release if as far as minor releases are concerned. And there's a multitude of exciting features coming to Rio 7.1, so much so that if I had to talk about one each day, it would take me about three months. But,
0: wow.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, right. There's so many of them. But particularly, I'm chuffed with Active Records new API for async queries. What this means for us is that in Rails 7.1, in addition to aggregate methods, you'd be able to asynchronously run custom SQL queries. And for running custom queries, we now have methods like async find by SQL and async count by SQL. And for the aggregate methods, there's async-average, async-sum, and the rest. Basically, prefixing all the aggregate methods with async and the score. So if you had an article model with a Boolean attribute, say, published, you'd be able to do count. And what this does is it returns an active record promise object with a status that could be completed canceled or pending, and then from here, there is a value method that you can call on the active record premise object to get the query results from the background thread.
0: The traditional tool stack wasn't meant for this kind of hybrid work we're all experiencing now. Miro, on the other hand, was always designed for it. Designed to fit into your engineering workflow, not the other way around. Miro is an infinite digital whiteboard-like space where you can up your team velocity. Want to create user story maps, prioritize your backlog, organize tasks into sprints while connecting with your team? Miro's got tons of templates for that, no problem. Being able to shoot a link to a Miro board and bring other teams into the conversation, especially for engineering teams like yours that want to bring in marketing or product, it'll completely change how you think. Miro also has integrations with tools you probably already use like Jira, Azure, and Rally. Import tasks from them as native cards to visualize the big picture. Draw dependency lines, manage workloads, and make adjustments on the fly to stay aligned and on track. Miro's estimation app also gives you a clear understanding of work scope and lets you identify gaps in analysis or understanding and set clear expectations for delivery. Head on over to miro.com slash Ruby, that is is slash Ruby, to check out the Ruby on Rails podcast community board in action. Get to know us, the co-hosts, play some games, and leave feedback on this podcast episode with sticky notes, comments, reactions, and more. That's Miro.com slash Ruby. Thank you to Miro for sponsoring the show. I could see how Async queries would be so useful for like an analytics dashboard where you don't need things to be quite so real time. So instead of driving a lot of traffic to your database, you can create those promises to get the values at, you know, a couple seconds up to a minute later.
1: right. Right. Even though it didn't make much sense, I used to think this would spawn a new thread every time, but I learned that the threads are actually part of a thread pool and that these threads are reused. So any query run asynchronously would join a queue to be executed. When you run a query asynchronously, there is one of three cases that could be at play. One of the possible cases is When the query hasn't yet started to run in a background thread, by the time you call for its result, then in that case, the query would just execute in the main thread. However, if by the time you need the result from a query in the background, if the query was fully executed, then you'd get the result right away. The other case is that if for some reason, by the time you tried to access the result of the query, it's already started to execute in the background thread, then you would need to wait for it to finish. The benefit of this is that when you have a job or controller calling some independent queries and each query takes, say, 100 milliseconds to execute, you wouldn't have to wait 300 milliseconds for three queries. You'd only need to wait one tenth of a second. And that, to me, is a huge performance boost. So to me, that's quite exciting. And credit to Jean Boussier from RealScore for taking this one on.
0: Yeah, everything he produces is magic. All the work that he puts into Rails is absolutely incredible.
1: He contributes really very important features to Rails and I appreciate all of his contributions.
0: I couldn't agree more. Is there any other features in Rails 7.1 that you want to give a shout out to?
1: Off the top of my head, I think there's now a way to use common table expressions. So support for common table expressions has been added out of the box in Rails. So if you had a model, you can just call with on that model to get a common table expression. And then with that, you would be able to, it's a relation, it would return an active record relation. And with that, you can chain other active record methods onto that. So I think this is also pretty cool.
0: Oh, that's really cool. So if you felt like you were backed into a corner where you had to use SQL in order to do joins, is this gonna make things easier when writing queries? Is it gonna at least make queries look a lot more succinct in your Ruby on Rails code base?
1: Yeah, of course, definitely. Because with common table expressions, when you've created a query that you can use later on, the idea behind common table expressions is that the result of a query is stored in memory. And then you can reuse that query in several different places. So this would make you write less code. And most important uh, is the fact that you wouldn't have to use ARL, which some people don't like to use to create complex queries. You can just use this with method to create really, really complex queries that you can use in your applications.
0: ARL is really polarizing sometimes, isn't it? I currently manage eight backend developers and two of them love interfacing with ARL, but the other six won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs>
1: right. I personally never actually had to touch it, so I think I'm one of the lucky ones.
0: <laughs> so we've discussed Ruby 3.2 on the show, but I want to hear from you what you were excited to see that was delivered. Well, I
1: think almost everything that was delivered in Rails 3.2, but last year was a great year for Rails and Ruby in my books. The reason is, uh, Ruby 3.2 brought a lot of new stuff to the table and Ruby-based WebAssembly support was one of those deliveries that stood out to me. As it stands now, modern languages like Rust, Go, I think, can all compile to WebAssembly. And it's nice that Ruby is joining the WebAssembly space too. With this feature, we can package Ruby scripts into a single WebAssembly binary, which means we can now distribute Ruby to even more environments. It's still Very early stages, but I believe at some point this would mean we'll be able to use Ruby for online games in the browser or even for virtual reality. And I was reading some interesting documents some time ago and found that the Mozilla Foundation benchmark WebAssembly code running between 10 to 800% faster than an equivalent code in JavaScript. This is a lot of speed that we may be able to take advantage of. JavaScript engines these days can pass and download WebAssembly binary formats way faster than JavaScript. So Ruby's support for WebAssembly means two things. That we can target more environments like the browser or even node. And we don't have to learn the WebAssembly text format, which is not pleasant if you have not programmed assembly before. This leads to more productivity for us, and it's something I think I'll play a lot with. And there is also YJIT, of course, making things faster for our Rails service. I've witnessed several people posting speed gains after enabling YJIT. So I think this is very much appreciated. Exciting times.
0: (laughs) It really is exciting times. And it really leads well into the next question. I love your story around this week in Rails just because it kind of feels familiar to me because of my story with this podcast. This is a long-running podcast. At one point, it kind of went silent. So I had reached out and asked if I could take over it. And now it's been years that I've been the co-host of this podcast. I guess as a fellow content creator, why is creating content for the Ruby on Rails community important to you? Well, sometimes when I share
1: some tips with Ruby and Rails developers, it's hard not to notice their reaction. You get this feeling that in some way, for some people, you've made your development lives easier. This feeling, knowing that you've helped someone in some small way excites me. But on a broader scale, I feel we should all share anything we know about Ruby and Rails with others. This way we can educate ourselves more on the capabilities of Ruby and Rails. And even though Ruby is friendly enough, some of its features are quite evasive. Rails speeds up the development process, but has several ways of doing stuff. And sometimes some of these ways are more efficient, and I feel it's necessary to expose to Ruby and Rails developers all the options we have with this beautiful language and framework. An unintended side effect of sharing Ruby and Rails content openly is the fact that developers on a different stack see how productive they can get if they use Ruby or Rails. My intention here is not to proselytize devs on other stacks, but rather to educate people on what can be achieved with our stack.
0: Do you see any negatives in trying to maintain content creation just in today's world?
1: I wouldn't call them negatives per se, but sometimes it gets hard to stay consistent with providing valuable content. Mm. And that's not out of the lack of content, but rather of the need to get other things in your life sorted out. In my case, I, life, I love to share Ruby and Rails content, and I only recently learned to take a break and give myself some rest. In the past, I burned myself out trying to consistently share content while keeping a full-time job and pushing other things. And uh, burning yourself out could be a problem. If you really want to keep going with content sharing in the Ruby community, because every tip is shared, you have to do some work. Sometimes you have to read documentation, source code and test them to see if what you're sharing indeed works like it's intended to. All of this takes time with a risk of burning yourself out if you're not careful, especially if you want to be in this for the long haul.
0: This episode is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. The number one reason startups fail is that they run out of money. There's so many different ways for startups to lose money. Downtime shouldn't be one. Recent studies found that downtime can cost $427 per minute for small businesses and up to $9,000 per minute for medium-sized businesses. That is every single minute. A monthly subscription with Honey Badger helps you prevent costly downtime by giving you all the monitoring you need in one easy to use platform so you can quickly understand what's going on and how to fix it, which helps you stay in business. Get started today in as little as five minutes at honeybadger.io with plans starting at free. Link is in the show notes. So for listeners who want to get into content creation, do you have any tips? Is it the tips around consistency? Is it around the language that you use? Is it not being afraid to share other people's content? What do you recommend?
1: First of all, I would say, you don't have to be Matt or Aaron to share anything. Recently, there's been an uptick in support for junior Ruby on Rails developers and anything said, any discussion in the form of a tweet or blog post can help people starting out or even help Ruby seniors. I would be happy to see more Ruby and Rails content online from anyone. I know some people don't like putting themselves out there and that's fine too, but if you don't mind, then the community would love to learn what people are doing with Ruby and Rails. If someone decides to share content, it helps to think a lot about the process. So think process, not product. The process of research and what to share opens opportunities to learn other things about Ruby or Rails. This has happened to me on countless occasions. Then finally, if you decide to start and keep at it, you should know when to take a break and take care of yourself.
0: I love that. Do you believe contributing to open source is contributing to community content?
1: The line here gets a bit murky with this one in the sense that all open source projects have some sort of leadership, a team or an individual that moderates contributions with community content, you own your content, but there really isn't any mechanism or process to accept or reject contributions that said. The open source movement was launched by programmers and that doesn't limit sharing to just code. The basic tenet then was rejecting secrecy and centralized control over creative work in favor of decentralization and open sharing of information. Based on this alone, if I had to give a yes or no answer to this, I would be more inclined to say yes. Contributing to community content is sharing free information that others can comment on and sort of approve or correct factual errors, this to me is some sort of moderation already. So if contributing documentation is open source, then contributing community content must be open source too.
0: I love that answer. So speaking of community content, we have to talk about something exciting, and that's the fact that you are working on a book called Rad Ruby. Tell me all about it.
1: I do really enjoy sharing knowledge wherever I know people might benefit, if that's not already known. But I also sharing knowledge publicly cements in my head what I already know. And in a way, it also validates what I think I know, because then if I'm wrong, people can correct me, hopefully. But after some time of sharing Ruby and Rails tips on Twitter, I thought to myself, wait, what happens with the stuff I shared two months ago? They are buried. They fade into oblivion. Then the idea of collecting all the tips I shared into a book hit me. I needed a way to persist and preserve all the cool things we can do with Ruby. But more important to me was the fact that I would have a sort of a living document where I could update the content when needed. Right, Ruby is still a work in progress and when complete would be a collection of useful tips and tricks that I explain in detail. So it's accessible to everyone my goal with Ruby is to expose some of Ruby's lesser known features so people appreciate it even more and i hope i can achieve that with this project.
0: Are you looking to do like a PDF book? Is it going to be a printed book? What are you thinking?
1: It's going to be self-published. I think that's what most of my friends are doing. That way i can send out content anytime i want and the main advantage of having an ebook is that like, you have the contact addresses of people who purchased it. And anytime you have an update, can just update the book and then just push it for it. It's way easier than having to chase a publisher for a printed book. So I think this would be the way for it for me.
0: I completely agree. The tip that I have been seeing lately is that you should do an ebook. And I love the idea that you would have the name so that way you can send updates because, you know, things do change and you want to keep right. your content right. fresh. Mm-hmm. However, You should get one printed for yourself just so you can have it and hold it.
1: (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, of course. It's something that's doable, so I could do that.
0: So, this is not a mystery question whatsoever, Emmanuel, but I think we can hear just the excitement in your voice over Ruby on Rails and Ruby. But of course, I'm still going to ask you what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities?
1: So, Ruby has been around for almost 30 years. That's about three decades now, and Rails has been making companies productive for the last 18 years. So it's quite needless to say these technologies are here to stay. I can only see our community growing. And recently, I've been seeing a lot of new folks, especially on Twitter Express and content with Rails. I expect this to grow for a a long time. And with Ruby 3.2 now and the advent of Rails 7.1, I don't see a reason more people won't be attracted to our community. And every day I say Ruby and Rails developer feels like a gift. And for this reason, I strongly feel the future of our community will only get brighter.
0: So Emmanuel, how can listeners follow you? And of course, find out about Rad Ruby?
1: I mostly hang out on Twitter. My handle is SIAW23. And for Ruby, I have a landing page on my blog, which if you find my Twitter profile, you'd be able to have access to my blog. Yeah. So I hang out mostly on Twitter these days.
0: Perfect. We will link all of that up in the show notes. I want to thank you so much for making your podcast debut on the Ruby on Rails podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for bringing so much content creation and excitement into our communities. It is just so acknowledged and appreciated.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Brittany.
0: You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.